front lines. Men on the front lines. Men on the front lines. Men on the front lines. We call forth these mighty men of valor. The Lord put a vision in my heart for a new movement amongst men in the body of Christ. The Lord says that I'm going to make champions out of those who would gather unto me. And I believe what men on the front lines will do. And I see it going into the nations. He's going to raise the bar among men. It's time for heroes to arise. I'm Robert Hodgkin, and this is Heroes Arise. Men on the Frontline social media broadcast, equipping, empowering, and encouraging you to arise as the hero, warrior, and champion that God created you to be. You matter, you are important, and you've got a key role to play for the kingdom and the earth. So thank you for joining me again this week so we can continue to pour into you. And what we're going to do this week is we're going to continue in our series where we've been looking at what God is speaking to his people in 2022. And I've got a dear friend and a special guest who's going to join us with a powerful word for the church in 2022. And you know what? We need it because when we look around today, look at the news, look at what's going on in the world, look at everything. It's pretty clear. Society is broken. Darkness is increasing. And you know what? The church is even less effective and less respected than maybe it's ever been in the history of the church. But none of that is leaving God wondering what to do. God has a plan and God has a word. God has a solution for what's broken in the church because the church is still God's solution in the earth. And when you hear this word from God for 2022, you are going to be excited and you're going to be empowered because you're going to see that you're part of God's solution for the church, which means you're going to be part of God's solution as the church in the earth for everything that we're facing. But just before we get into that, I've got two quick announcements for you. Number one, I don't want you guys to forget, mark your calendars, March 24th to the 26th. We have got our Man Camp East Coast 2022 event coming up in Rose Hill, North Carolina. I'll be there. Ben Hughes will be there. Brad Carter will be there. And I'm also thinking we're going to have some special surprise guests for you. You're not going to want to miss this. We've been planning and strategizing how to take our men's events to a whole nother level. We've been able to bless men and empower men and remind them who they are in Christ and see them walk in even greater manifestations of all that they're called to. But we are committed to working with Holy Spirit and giving you an even heightened experience and even better experience at our men's events. There'll still be all the worship times. There'll still be all the fellowship times, all the mentoring and ministry times. It's going to be what it is every year, our weekend, a brotherhood breakthrough and adventure, and you're not going to want to miss it. You can go to menonthefrontlines.com, click the events link, and you'll get all the information about how you can be a part of the East Coast event, March 24th to the 26th. Or if you want to make it easy, just email me, robert at menonthefrontlines.com, and I'll get you all that information. I think we've got room for it's like 10 or 12 guys left. That's it. And that includes the new cabin they built for us at the great facility that we use at the East Coast event. So don't miss your opportunity to be a part of the weekend of Brotherhood Breakthrough and Adventure. Go to menonthefrontlines.com and click that events link and get all the info. The other thing I want to remind you of, we talk about it every week. Don't forget to go to my Robert Hodgkin YouTube channel and Rumble channel. 
and uh, subscribe to the channel. That way you'll get notifications of every time a new Heroes Arise comes out or a new Ask Robert or a new God's Top 5 or a new Word Up. All the content we're creating, releasing multiple things a week, you'll be notified of it. And the reason we keep pushing this every week is the main platform we reach you guys through, that we stream through, they shall rename nameless, but something is going on with their algorithm. I don't know what we triggered or what they're not pleased with, but we've noticed a couple of things. There's certain shows they won't even stream. They'll let us upload them, but when their algorithm runs through it, they decide it's content they don't want any part of and they, they, they refuse to stream it. But even the ones they do stream, we had gotten up to where we were regularly reaching, you know, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 views on, on when it was live. And even though our subscriptions and likes and all that have gone up on this platform, the number of people seeing the show has been squelched and shrunk down to sometimes just around a thousand. And I keep getting notes from people saying, hey, I never get notified when a new show is. Are you still doing the show? Where'd the show go? So if you subscribe to the YouTube channel or the Rumble channel, you'll get notifications every time we upload content. And then like everybody else says, but I'm going to say it too, be sure to like, share, and subscribe because that does something good to those algorithms and helps people see the show or, or be notified of the show. And the other thing, if you're like me and you like podcasts, well, both Here's a Rise and Word Up goes, up goes out as podcasts every single week. So look for us on your favorite podcast platform and do the same thing. Like, share, subscribe, and help us get word out about Heroes Arise and Word Up and help us get word up about all word out about all the other great content that we are creating. All right. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me through the announcements. We're using a new uh, uh, streaming program here. So let's make sure I do this right and I bring our special guest in. There he is, my friend Ryan Johnson. How are you? Doing well yourself? I'm doing great. I'm I'm actually working the technology, which is our media guy is going to look at this and go, hey, you did it. I trained you well. So just for you guys behind the, or you know what's going on behind the scenes, we often do these things through Zoom. We've switched to Restream because we were told it'll get us better um, video quality and some other things. So comment and let us know. What do you think of the video quality? What do you think of the sound quality? Let us let us know what you think of the change. We can always go back if it's not good for you guys because we want to make sure you're well served. All right, Ryan Johnson, thank you so much for being with us. You've got a word from the Lord for 2022, and I really want to get into that. But before we get into the specifics of that word, I was on your blog. I love your website, ryanjohnson.us. Whenever you're on, I always encourage our viewers to go and check it out because it's so content rich. It's so revelatory, revelation rich. But I was reading your blog, and it's a blog about this word. But even in just the first paragraph, I was like, wow, I love what he carries and the revelation he walks in. You were sharing what I thought was some real wisdom about when God gives a word, a seasonal word, like so many of the prophetic voices, myself included, were getting these words for 2022. But you did a great job of breaking down what it means when God gives a word for a season or a year or an epoch, because God is not bound by the Gregorian calendar. It's not like God gives a word and he is limited by January 1 to December 31st. So share a little of that with our audience before we get into the specific word. So they have that wisdom of why it's great to grab hold of a word that God gives for a year, but also to realize God is not limited by a calendar. 
Yeah, first of all, thanks so much for allowing me to be a part of it and promoting the website, promoting everything that we do. Um, you're not just someone that we consider a ministry friend. You are genuinely a brother, a friend. Uh, I look for your wisdom and your insight and knowledge, and I'm grateful for that. You know, the interesting thing is I don't know that I would have uh, typed out that paragraph had I not started seeing a lot of people be very critical about new words at the beginning time of the year. And I started seeing a lot of posts where people would say, you know, is it scriptural to have these kinds of words for a new year, you know, a new word for new year and this and that. And they were being very <clears throat> derogatory to a degree. And I, I kind of took a step back and I went, well, okay, let's look. First of all, is there a scripture reference to this? And then you understand that God did things in timing. And, and this is the reason I constructed the paragraph. It basically is saying there's no magic formula to the time frame when a word comes in. When we say we have a word for 2022, everything that was said in 2021 doesn't end automatically on December 31st at the strike of midnight. And if it came to pass, great. If it didn't, that's just tough luck because we switch over January 1st. God is not contractually bound to our Gregorian calendar. Our calendar, I personally believe, is hundreds of years off of a Hebraic calendar. And I believe the Hebraic calendar is potentially off a little bit, not greatly, but potentially maybe one or two years off. But we know that time is very important to God. Uh, he's the one that set the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky for the purpose of time. We know that he did it for the purpose of season. So does God speak when he gives a word like going into 2022? Yes, but it's not bound by January 1st, 2022, by to December 31st, 2022. It simply means that God is setting into order something in that season, and the limitations is not bound by 12 months or 365 days. It can go on for years. You can have a word from 2022, Robert, that will go on for 10 years. It just means that God set something into motion. When it ends, it ends on his time frame, not, not ours in that process. Now, I, I'll give this in a natural sense so that everybody can understand. Yes, there's four seasons, right? There's four seasons in a year. We all know that. We all know by a lunar calendar when it's the first day of fall or autumn, the first day of winter, the first day of summer, first day of spring. But it's interesting because we're fixing to come into spring, and I promise you we're, you're going to be in a part of the world where it's going to be the first day of spring, but it's not going to feel like spring. Right. It's going to feel like winter. And we go, oh, they're lying. They're lying to us. It's the first day of spring. They're lying to us. How dare they do that? But we know that there's a timing to that by the moon and, the, and everything. So when we talk about these 2022 words, it just means that God is setting something into existence, into what he is setting up, but it's not limited. Don't limit what God is trying to do by our, our calendar and think, oh, it must be done from January 1st on. It's just it, it, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble by doing that. I think that's really wise. And I love how you put it. God is putting something into motion at that point. You know, I've always thought of it as, 
Well, first of all, you know, there's the son of Issachar anointing and the sons of Issachar discern the times. And I believe we are to discern the times. And it's one of the things our ministry walks in is God will often reveal to us what his plans are in the earth so we can announce it and the body can be a part of it. And our audience knows that. We talk a lot about what's on God's heart right now. What does God want to do right now? What does God want to do for you? What what does God want to do through you? But when it comes to like 2022 words or or, or 5782 on the Hebrew calendar, because God usually gives us words at Rosh Hashanah, um, because we honor that, because I, I love all the feasts and festivals on the Jewish calendar, because I think they all point to Jesus and what we have fulfilled in Jesus. Um, so I love at Rosh Hashanah and always pray into and say, Lord, what's your word for the coming Hebraic year? And then usually do the same, you know, anywhere from late October into early January, asking for on the Gregorian calendar. But the way I've always looked at it, Ryan, and how God's put it to me is I'm a, I absolutely believe the word of God. And God says he's the great I am, not the great I was, not the great I will be. And I believe that God is a present tense God. And that means he's always present. He's always present tense. He's only present tense. But like you said, he created time and can reach into time. But there's nothing available to us in or of God that's not always available to us in and of God because of the finished work of cross, the cross and because God's I am, he's present tense. Yet, what I look at when he gives words like you're about to share with us for 2022 is he is releasing a grace for us to grab hold of something that's always available, but to grab hold of something in that season because as his stewards of time and space, according to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, he knows what's coming inside of time. And he knows what we need as his people to be really effective in walking in victory and advancing the kingdom in that hour. And that's how I think of it. It's like, you know, we what you're about to announce, we could lay hold of last year, 10 years ago, 10 years from now. But there's a great grace being released with the declared word for us to hear it, for us to see it and us to have the faith to grab hold of it and move in it. It's not that God was holding it back and saying, if you jump these through these three hoops, then I'll give it to you. No, we have it. And he's highlighting it to us, highlighting to us what we have in that Kairos moment so we can grab hold of it and walk in it because he knows better than we do what we need in this year. Does that line up with what you were sensing about um, his timing? Yeah. You know, a great example to that is hundreds of years they talked about a coming Messiah. The Messiah is coming. He's coming. He's going to be slain on the cross, the Lamb of God. But it didn't happen until a certain time. And when the child was born, when the child was born, it set into motion the reality of that Messiah. The interesting thing is that being set into motion for 30 years of his from birth to 30 years, he still didn't really set things into motion until there's a very fascinating passage of scripture. You know, when they're at the wedding, they run out of the wine. When they run out of the wine, the mother comes to Jesus, says they've run out of wine. You need to do something. He specifically tells his mother that he can't do anything. What should I do? What do you come to me? It's not my time. Yet when it was his time, it now sets something else in order. So when we get into these words, like you're saying, I love how you're saying that. It's not that it's not been there. It's there, but now God is setting into another level, another motion for 30 years the Messiah was on the earth, but there came a time when it set into motion another level of understanding who the Messiah was. 
And I think that's beautifully how you're describing that. And the lamb was slain. And I know this is controversial and we don't have to go there and I'll just get me in trouble, not you. But <laughs> the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth was laid. So what that means to me is it's always been available to us, but the cross was a marker in time that got our attention to let us know and Jesus did something to make it more evident, more obvious, and more available. But it was there from before time began. Absolutely. And I mean, I can go through the Old Testament. This isn't what we're here to discuss. But maybe I have a whole teaching called the now of God and how to access the present tense power of the great I am. And we should do a show on that because I love what you're carrying on this. But I so I don't want to get us too far off track, but I love that everything of God is always available to us, but there are certain things he does, certain things he says, or certain things he shows to get our attention so we can have the faith to grab hold of the now word for this now season, even though it's nothing he's held back. It's just something he's making more evident in its availability. So with that in mind, share with us this word that God gave you for 2022 because boy, I've seen it, I've heard it, I love it, and the church needs it. Yeah, I, you know, I was praying as the year was going along from about August on. I start praying and asking God, you know, what is what is your plan? What is what are you saying? What are you doing? And as the year was going, I just really wasn't getting anything, which didn't give me uh, a reason to be in despair or a reason to think, oh, God's just not speaking. It just caused me to press in even further, and as I did. We got towards the very end of the year, and I simply heard the Lord say, it's going to be a new year for the repairs of the breach. And that's a very common statement. You know, um, many people probably heard a message about the repairs of the breach. But when I heard the Lord say that, it, it caused me to take a step back and ask, now, wait a minute. Do I not know something about the repairs of the breach? Am I missing something here? It comes from Isaiah 58, 12, that specifically says those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the old foundations, age old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Now, like many people, I've read that passage of scripture. I've, you know, went over Isaiah 58 before and but there's something about the way that the Lord said that to me in my spirit to where I begin to understand a little bit not fully there's something i'm missing specifically about this because when we hear the terminology repairer or restorer or renew we begin to think about how things once were or how we want the old to look new and i some time ago what helped me kind of get this revelation is um where i live in the great smoky mountains we have a lot of antique car shows and I love antique cars. I love old cars. So I would go and, and look around these old cars. And, you know, these cars are called restored vehicles. And, and I began to look at these restored vehicles. And I noticed a common theme about all these restored vehicles. It's very rare to have a restored antique vehicle with 100% of the original parts. It's extremely rare. It's possible, but it's rare. What you most of the time get in a restored vehicle is a vehicle from a certain year modified with modern advances. So there's new things that are added to it to make it greater than what it once was before its original creation. So I begin to understand that about restoring. 
And so when God restores us or he renews us, he doesn't get us back to the place that we were when we failed or we were weak. He actually brings us to a place where we're greater than what we were at that moment in time. So understanding restore and, and, and renew, I immediately begin to think that's what he was saying, repairs of the breach. Okay, we're going to repair this breach and everything. And so I did a deep dive again into this chapter. And I reanalyzed everything that I thought I understood. And I began to pick up on something that Isaiah really is saying. And he, he talks about being a repairer of the breach because ultimately what Isaiah says is there is a sin problem in the house of God. There's not just simply a sin problem. There's a sin problem in the house of God. Israel has a, they've, they've allowed sin come in. There's a breach in the wall. And because they've allowed that sin to come in, it is redefining who God is and also redefining who Israel is. When I begin to study that out, things really begin to click with me, spiritually speaking, and understanding where we are as a body of Christ right now. Is sin a problem? Absolutely. Sin's always been a problem. It's been the problem since the beginning of the time. But the, the, the issue that we're facing right now, because we have permitted sin to be in the house of God and the body of Christ, we've become permissible and acceptable so that a culture will receive us. But in the process of allowing that breach to come in, we've permitted ourselves to redefine who God is in the accordance of sin and who we are as sons and daughters of God in accordance to sin as well. When we begin to redefine sin to where we can live a permissible life in our own free will, it is a major breach. And so what the Lord is saying, when he's saying, I'm, I'm calling this to be a repairer of the breach, he's acknowledging what we've permitted sin to do. And what he is calling us to do as sons and daughters of God is repair that breach. And I know it's an old statement, and, and a lot of people, that's an old idea and this and that. But we do have to get back to the process where we acknowledge sin is sin. And we can't redefine sin to make it more acceptable or tolerable to a culture that wants to live however they want to and hope that God will wink and nod. When you look at the entire chapter of Isaiah 58, this is what... what uh, Isaiah is dealing with here. He even talks about their fasting and he talks about you fast in a way to make it presentable to the culture, but you're not fasting for the right reason. Your heart is not in it. The intent of your motives are not in it. You're going through the motions. And that's the problem with the body of Christ right now. We've permitted this breach, this little bitty breach to work its way in the body. And now there's many, not all, it's not a blanket statement, but there's many who are, are permitting so many things to go on that they're just going through the motions. You know, they get up, they preach, they do the Lord's Prayer, the baptisms, but the intent of the heart has been changed simply because of the breach that's in the wall. Just a second, Ryan. There we go. I'm trying to figure out how to get us back both up here. This is really good, and I think it's a really important discussion that that I think too many shy away from because it can often get into just uh, name-calling and blame-casting. Because I see this happen every once in a while where we want to have a discussion about righteousness, and it just gets into the two camps of, oh, that's legalism, that's that's performance, and 
you don't have a revelation of the cross and you don't have a revelation of forgiveness and grace. And then the other side is like, well, that's just licentiousness and it's just an excuse to sin. And they're just yelling at each other. And the thing is, like so much with the kingdom, it's so black and white. And yet it's a kingdom of of both and. And what I mean by that, I don't mean sin is permissible, but we have to have that revelation of grace. We have to have that revelation that we are forgiven. We have to have that revelation that this is all based on who God is, what God's like, and what Jesus did on our behalf. Because if we don't, then we get into this whole idea, if I fall short in some way, if I sin in some way, that I'm completely disqualified, God can't use me, and many, they just become shipwrecks and think, well, I might as well give all the way over to sin. But we also have to balance that with, of course, if I sin, I'm forgiven. It doesn't disqualify me from all the spiritual blessings, from the fruit, from the power, from the calling, from the gifts. But we don't want to sin because not because we'll be the wrath of God will come upon us. And no, he poured out all his wrath on Jesus Christ at the, on the cross on our behalf. Yet we've got to wake up to the fact that we are dominion stewards in the earth. So it's not about God will be mad at me and punish me if I sin. It's the revelation of A, I'm giving place to the enemy to ravage me. And God is saying, I love you so much. I gave you free will. I actually can't protect you if you keep giving place to this. Now I can redeem you. I can help you, but you're giving places. And then the other thing is, We've got to realize the power of the choices we make, according to Romans 5, because if we choose unrighteousness, it's not just we're made unrighteous. Unrighteousness enters the earth. So we can look at the state of the world today, and it is a train wreck in so many ways of licentiousness, of sin, of compromise, of lies, of, of tyranny, of, of so much. And we can notify, you know, the discerners, and there's so many that are discerners, can say, well, it's this spirit, it's that spirit, it's a major power and principality in this region and that region. But what we've got to get is before those principalities empowered sin in those regions, we empowered those principalities in those regions by sinning. And so that's why we talk about why God wants to repair the breach isn't because he's mad and wants to smash and destroy. You know, it's our God is not the Hulk. He's not saying Hulk mad, Hulk smash, Hulk punish. It's God is saying, you are still my solution. And I want to wake you up to the power you have in me. I think that's why the apostle Paul prayed so fervently. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened of the incredible you inheritance you have in Christ and the power available to you if you believe. And yes, absolutely believe in Christ, but also believe in who you are. I think it's like when Jesus said to the disciples, you know, they wake him up in the boat because of the storm. Like, don't you care? We're drowning. And he says, oh, ye of little faith. And I've heard that taught of they didn't have faith in God. I don't agree with that. They had so much faith in God. They came running to him and said, help. We know you can help. I think he was saying, why do you have so little faith in who you are with and for God? Why do you have so little faith of what you can do on behalf of all creation when you walk with me? Why didn't you have faith you could speak to that storm? And that's a righteous choice. That's choosing the power available in Christ. Just like it's a righteous choice not to cheat on my wife. Like it's a righteous choice not to be participate with the accuser of the brethren. So I think this word's really important, but we've got to make sure we don't hear it as an accusation, wrathful, you know, because... Uh, it seems like the pe uh, part of the, how do I want to say this? I want to be fair about this. Part of the people who have received this and know this word 
is expressed as God shall smite thee if you don't measure up. And the the, the truth is, actually, he won't because all his wrath was poured out on the cross. Now, his heart will be broken. He will do everything he can to rescue you from the bad choices that you're making that give place to the enemy. But he won't wrath upon thee. But he does want to wake you up that you're part of his solution in the earth. And when I talk about this, I always get, you know, people always say, so you're saying God's not sovereign, that you're God now? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is we've got to wake up to God is completely, utterly, and totally sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But his plan since day six, his sovereign plan since day six, is to have a people in the earth willing to be in relationship with him, willing to walk with him, be mentored, be discipled by him, be taught by him on how to be more and more effective in advancing the kingdom in the earth on his behalf, by his power and to his glory. That's what we're here for is the church. And the last thing I want to say before I turn it back over to you to talk about what I've rambled on about here is one of the most encouraging things about this to me that Isaiah said and what God said to you in this word is God says he wants to repair the breach. He wants us to repair the breach. He's not saying tear it all down. And this is who our God is. When there was chaos in the earth and 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 everything was a void, God didn't tear it all down. He spoke light. He repaired. He restructured. And you go into the original uh, Hebrew and it gets really fascinating when you look at what the Hebrew is saying. And there's all that. I won't go into Dake's gap theory and all of that. But I find it fascinating because it's really about God bringing kingdom order to the chaos, God bringing light to the darkness, not just nuking it all, but actually repairing and reestablishing his original intent. And we get to partner with him in doing that in 2022. You know, I think one of the things that we have to do as individuals is take a step back and go, why does God want the breach repair to begin with? That's good. Why, why, why is that important to him? If I go back and I look at the chapter, I'm going to find a common theme of Isaiah talking to the children of Israel. And it still centers around the heart and the motive. You know, you're obeying the laws of Israel. You're doing everything you're supposed to do, but you're not in the right heart mind. You're not, you're not doing things for the reason. The thing that stands out of that is it all comes back to the relationship that you have with God. We're called to repair the breach, and and, and I'll say it this way. God is calling us to repair the relationship that we have with him. Mm. Now, a lot of people go, I I don't feel like there's a relationship broken and stuff. And here's why the sin is the major issue in in the breach there. If I take a, a husband and wife, and they are intimate with one another, and they're married for another years, and they cultivate that intimacy with one another, not just the physical side, but the emotional, the spiritual, the communication, everything that is involved in marriage. But somewhere along the line, let's just say that one of the spouses begins to entertain themselves with pornography. And when pornography creeps in, in the early stages, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's going to be something that that one spouse can control whenever they want to control it. But over a period of time, they begin to give their heart over to the pornography and their heart goes and turned away from the spouse even though the spouse may not fully receive it there becomes a breach in the relationship in the way that there's communication 
in the way that there is intimacy, in the way that there's love, in the way there's affection. There's certain things throughout that relationship that begins to change. Well, eventually the sin begins to redefine that spouse's idea of what their relationship is supposed to be like with their spouse. Mm -hmm. And when that sin begins to redefine what the relationship is, it also begins to redefine what that person is, that spouse. And before long, that pornography, that sin has redefined the person and the type of marriage and therefore the relationship. And the only way that that marriage can be saved is for a repair of the breach. That has to be sealed up. That sin has to be eradicated, has to be removed. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be grace. There has to be mercy. There has to be love. But that's ultimately an example of what God is saying with the repair of the breach. What God is saying is because sin has came into the camp, it's not only reprogrammed your mind, it's reprogrammed the way that we are in relationship with one another. You're not affectionate with me anymore. You don't love me like you once loved me. You don't seek me like you once sought after me. God is trying to call us back into a right relationship with him. But that means that we have to address things that sometimes we don't want to address. But it's just the reality because it becomes a break when that breach opens up an opportunity to break a wedge in between the relationship, God is ultimately trying to get people to recognize the rebellion that is in them, which is why we have this tendency as, and, and I know it's probably everywhere else. I just see it more in America, but we have this tendency as American uh, Christians just to say, Jesus, fix it, do your thing. Can Jesus absolutely just fix the repair and the breach? Yes, Jesus can. But actually, he's calling us to be the hands and the feet in this. In other words, he's calling you and I to be the repairers of the breach. It's not with condemnation. It's not with anger. It's not with hatred. If you're going to repair the breach, you're going to have to do it with grace. You're going to have to do it with mercy. You're going to have to do it in love. Why? Because that's how he received us and repaired what was within us. And so when we look at people, we're going to have to do that. But there comes this time when we have to recognize that even though the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can do it, he's calling upon us to repair what is broken in us as individuals and within the body of Christ as well. But this whole thing, the reason all this is here is it's about the relationship between man and God, that's where all this is stemmed on. God is trying to restore the relationship that he has with his creation. Let me ask you a question, because this is this is so rich. Say somebody's watching and thinking, I totally hear you, but doesn't the Old Testament, isn't that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of story and scripture showing us we can't do this for ourselves? That's why the Messiah came. And isn't Jesus the repairer of the breach, especially if the breach is sin? Isn't he the solution for sin? How can I be my solution for sin? And if there, if, and I think that's a fair question, but if I heard you correctly in that last segment, and check me if I'm wrong on this, you're not saying we become our solution for sin. We're saying, you're saying in the solution for sin, we choose who we truly are in Christ. So basically, we choose not to bite the apple. We choose not to cheat on the spouse. We choose not to get angry in traffic. We choose not 
to uh, click on porn instead of picking up our Bible and spending time with God. So this isn't about us becoming our own Messiah when, he, when we are becoming the repairer of the breach. If the breach is sin, we become the repairer by choosing not to sin, not being the solution for sin. Is that fair? Absolutely. And it's such a great question because the, the irony of that is it is definitely not you trying to be your own savior. That's impossible. You can't do that. But the irony is the moment that you allow the breach to occur, you become a little God because you redefine who God is and who you are. And you think you, you redefine what is permissible. So that's the irony in that when you choose to repair the breach, what you're literally doing is you are eradicating the things in which you allowed to come into your life. Now, Jesus heals the wounds. Jesus heals the offense. Jesus heals the um, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, all that, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, all that has to come through Christ. But we have to willingly make the decision and the consciousness to refrain from the things that we permitted in our life to begin with. Uh, for example, you know, Jesus, th there, there's, there's things that throughout all the scripture, Jesus gives instructions to people. You know, one of my favorite, favorite passages of scriptures, ironically, is the young ruler that comes to Jesus. And he says, I have obeyed all the commandments since I was a child. Tell me what I must do to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, sell all that you have and come follow me. And I know that we've made that solely about money and finances and wealth and all that, but I do not believe it is simply about that. Even though Jesus does have this teaching moment where he talks about how difficult it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. What's really interesting about that conversation is the, the statement, two-word statement that follows, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And that statement was, follow me. Now, any other time in the scripture, the only time that Jesus ever said, follow me, he said it to his disciples. So this young ruler comes to Jesus and he wants the kingdom of heaven. But ultimately, beyond selling all he has and giving it to the poor, he's not willing to follow Jesus. Now, that's interesting because what he initially came to Jesus with is, I have followed all the rules mm all the commandments since I was a child. He done everything by the book, but he really and truthfully wasn't willing to follow Jesus. When we're saying that God's calling you to be the repairer of the breaches, what he's really saying is, are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to restore that relationship? Are you willing to receive everything? Because what happens is, and I know we don't do it intentionally to begin with, but over a period of time, we end up following sin. We end up following and chasing after sin. I can use pornography as an example because that's something that's so easy and a lot of people can relate to. But what about lying and gossip and slander? We begin to follow after it. We chase stories. We chase, oh, did you hear about so-and-so and this and that and, and backbiting? And, you know, there's so many things that we chase after. And what, what Jesus is really saying to us today is he's saying, I want to restore this relationship between you and the Father. You do your part because what I've provided is enough. But you got to receive it, but you also got to do your part. You're never your own savior. Nobody, I don't even, I even tell people, Robert, I don't know if we've had this conversation. I hear people a lot of times, they'll say, I'll drop this nugget in here. They'll say, I just got to learn how to forgive myself. And I stop them and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to get rid of that mentality. And they look like what? I said, if you could forgive yourself, then why would you need God? 
You can't ever get to the level of forgiving yourself. That's an impossibility. Mm -hmm. You cannot forgive yourself. You have to learn how to receive God's forgiveness for your life. When you learn to receive God's forgiveness, you don't look to forgive yourself because it's impossible to forgive yourself. That's why we need God's forgiveness. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things, I love how you broke that down. One of the things that I always get encouraged by is when, this may sound weird, but sometimes I get encouraged when the enemy tries to discourage me because I know if the enemy's trying to discourage me, then there's something God wants me to get that's going to be really good. Right. And even in this conversation, like we're talking about realizing the breach is sin and how we're to be repairers of the breach by choosing not to sin because sin creates the breach, sin creates the problem. And if we're not careful, we can, even when Holy Spirit comes and convicts us in a certain area, one of the words I got for 5782, which we're still not even halfway through on the the Jewish calendar, is there were three aspects to God's promise for this year. One of them was paths would be clearly defined. And the path of righteousness and unrighteousness is going to be seen in areas like never before so we can choose righteousness. So one of the other ways we can say that is this is going to be a year of, of conviction, but it's glorious conviction. The Holy Spirit highlights something not for guilt, shame, and condemnation, but unto realization and empowerment. But the enemy likes to jump in on that conviction and bring condemnation. So all we think is, oh, man, I blew it in that area again. I'm just a low-down, dirty sinner. But what we've got to realize is if we can create the breach in the power of our free will, then we've got to get the opposite of that is, we absolutely, with the power of our free will, have the ability to be the solution, have the ability to repair the breach. So God's not highlighting any area, whether it's gossip, whether it's offense, whether it's bitterness, whether it's porn, whether it's adultery, whatever it is, sin is sin. If it's unfaith, if it's lack of faith in one area, God convicted me last year at one point in my wife's battle to overcome cancer. Things were looking really bad for a while, and I got into fear. And, and, but, and thankfully, I had buddies like you who were there for me and could encourage me. But in that, I could hear God saying, fear is unbelief and unbelief is sin. And he wasn't saying it to slap me like, you've disappointed me. You're not my son anymore. I disown you. It was like, no, realize if you're operating in fear, you're operating in power for the wrong team. You're giving place to the devil instead of giving place to me. Now, I'll encourage you, I'll grace you, I'll lift you up. It'll be by my might, my power, my Holy Spirit, not yours. But are you willing to shake off fear? And when I was, all of a sudden, it was like in that moment, that got my eye off the size of the tumor and the the severity of the situation. And it got it back on God. And I was like, well, God, I don't know. I get that this is scary. But I also get that I have the choice to look at you and the truth of your word. And faith came into me and I was right back in that place of authority, decreeing and declaring. And here we are eight months later and there's no tumor anymore. God gets all the glory for the death, for the doctors, for everything. I mean, every, every way he showed up, he gets all the glory. And yet, not and yet, he absolutely gets all the glory in that. I got to participate because Holy Spirit convicted me, not for guilt, shame, and condemnation, but unto enlightenment. And so I could step back into my place of authority and the power of Christ as a dominion steward in the earth and start speaking to that tumor again from the place of faith and commanding it to dissolve. So we've got to catch that this is not a word, even though it's about sin and where we've sinned and where we've broken relationship and where we've been part of the problem. 
we've got to get, this isn't under guilt, shame, and condemnation. It's under awareness and empowerment for the authority we have and the blood of Jesus Christ works. We repent, we turn away, we change the way we think about it. All that repent means by the power of the blood. And then we don't go sit on the bench and go, yeah, I fumbled the ball on that one. I guess I'm no good. No, we say, no, I'm made to carry the ball. I'm not going to the bench now. I'm getting in the game and operating in the fullness of who I truly am to the glory of God. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I really want people to understand that it's our responsibility to pray. It's our responsibility to seek the Lord. It's our responsibility to know what the Word of God says. If we don't do, if we don't pray, we don't worship, and we don't know what His Word is, we're going to be overcome. And I do want to be, you know, I and, and part of this is what I'm what I'm saying is, sadly, sadly, we're seeing a lot of ministries. Um, you have a leader in the body of Christ that. For whatever reason, they end up divorcing their spouse of many years and they choose a new spouse. Um, now, I know that happens from time to time, but what we're seeing a lot of that happen over and over and over again is not for the right reason. And this is what I'm talking about. One of the areas that we have to deal with with sin in the house of God. When you have a leader that just decides one day, I don't want to be married to this person. I've been married to him for 30 years and I just want to be married to this person. Those are things that we gotta we gotta look at. When we have people that are openly uh, bound by any kind of sexual sin, adultery, fornication, um, homosexuality, whatever the case is, you don't want to just give them the free reign to be a leader in the body of Christ. They need to be helped. They need to be restored. They need to be renewed. You don't want somebody that is dealing with offense and anger and bitterness up there preaching with rage and stuff. Th those are the things that we're talking about. We've got to deal with, you know, Isaiah 56, 10 through 11 says this, his watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark dreamers lying down who love to slumber and the dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied and they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned their own way. Each one to his unjust gain to and to the last one and ultimately what isaiah was saying is our watchmen have become mute dogs unable to bark this is not about saying oh you wretched sinner you know god is angry with you and god's mad with you it's about caring enough about our brothers and sisters in christ to say hey what are you doing you you can't do this you know you you can't go to the bar and hang out with another, another man's wife or another wife's husband. You can't be, you, you don't, you know, you're married. You don't need to be in a closed room with another woman or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's caring enough about the body to say, hey, now listen, if you don't get a hold of this, this is going to destroy you. But it's not just going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your family, your children, your grandchildren, whatever the case is. I don't want to be a generation of mute dogs. I, I, I it, it's not about the, you know, I'm more righteous than you. And therefore I never, cause you're never going to escape the temptation of sin. You're always going to be tempted to sin at some point. And it's not wrong. It's not a sin to be tempted. Right. It, it, you're going to be tempted and it's not the sin to be tempted. It's wrong when we begin to devour that 
and that sin becomes a part of our life. Therefore, there's the breach that is happening in the body of Christ. And again, it's not about trying to condemn or shame. It's really genuinely about helping somebody. Go back to the woman at the well. Jesus, in that conversation, it seems so offensive and so rude for Jesus to say, go get your husband. And then her response is, I have no husband. His response back is, yeah, you've had five and you're not even married to the one you're living with now. Today, if I said that, man, I'd get a fence email after email. How dare you speak that way? But that was Jesus caring enough. Now, how did he right. get away with it? It was the intent of his heart. Right. And that's the difference. If we come with the grace, the mercy, and the love, I believe that we can repair some breaches. Right on. Well, you know what? I, I know we need to start wrapping up here soon, but I'm loving this conversation. And you, in, in the word that you got and you wrote up on your blog, and again, everybody go to ryanjohnson.us. There's tons of great stuff there, but I highly encourage you to dig into his blog. There's a lot of wisdom there as well as links to all his media and to his Blacksmith Chronicles podcast so you can hear from him regularly. Great stuff there. But Ryan, when you wrote up this word God gave you, near the end of the blog article, you have three keys three things that we can each do to become repairers of the breach. And I want to unpack each of those a bit um, before we close, because we've, we've, you've done a great job of explaining the problem, the opportunity in the problem, what God wants to do, why God wants to do it. But let's do some mentoring now and share with people how they can actually apply what you've been sharing and how they can step into it. And your first key, and I always talk keys. I don't know what you call them. I, I always think of them as mentoring keys. But the first thing you shared was we've got to do is call upon the name of the Lord. What do you mean by that? What does that look like? You know, we have to remember that he's not forsaken us. He's not abandoned us. He's not uh, left us to deal with ourselves or our own. And whether we're dealing with the loss of a, uh, a loved one, whether we're dealing with a, a physical ailment right now, a mental ailment, whatever, whether we're in abuse or disappointment or whatever kind of struggle that we're in, trial, tribulation, we need to learn how to call upon the name of the Lord again. We need to learn how to call upon him and knowing that because he hasn't abandoned us, he hasn't forsaken us, that he will respond. We need to learn how to call back to him in our grief, in our hardship, in our distress, we need to learn how to worship him in the midst of that. Worse, call upon the name of the Lord in the midst of our worship and praise him in those moments. Even when we don't feel like it, we need to do that. We need to make our flesh do what the spirit knows to do. And that's what I mean by that key. That second key, uh, I like that, by the way, and I'll tell you one day why keys are important to me. Uh, <laughs> is you need to remove the yoke from the midst of your heart. The yoke from the midst of your heart. You got to remove things that you're attached to. Um, the former things, you know, sometimes it's a slave mentality. Sometimes it's uh, you're, you're in bondage because past offense, past hurt, past rejection. Um, and, and what happens is we yoke up with those mentalities. And we think, well, it's never going to be greater than this. You know, I'm, I, everybody's going to hate me. Nobody's going to like me. I've always been rejected. I'll always be rejected. We need to trade out that yoke for the yoke of Jesus. The kingdom has no boundaries. And the his, his yoke, his burden is lighter for us. 
but we have this tendency to to hang on to those things that we shouldn't do and we need to seek the protection of the lord rather than trying to protect ourselves at all times um let me ask a question on this ryan just one second um because i i totally agree we've got to remove the yoke we we gave place to the sin we gave place to that yoke we became a bond slave to that yoke we've got to understand if we gave place to it we have the power to remove it having said that i know there's going to be people watching and listening who get super excited about this they they know it's true they want to do it and let's say it's something like an addiction whether it's an addiction to porn or addiction to alcohol or addiction to anger or whatever it is because sometimes when we've given place to that sin over and over and over again it becomes a false comfort it becomes a familiar spirit it becomes an addiction and there will be many who when they get this and they lean into god there will be the supernatural grace for it to break like that but what does it look like for somebody who absolutely has heard what you said knows this is the word of the lord and decides yeah i see it i've given place to porn or anger or bitterness or offense or gossip over and over and over and over again and they say i'm done with it i turn from it i apply the blood they do everything correct and yet the next day or three days later it pops its head back up again and it's really a wrestle and they're going to feel like we i agree with you uh temptation's not a sin you know you're one of the pillars of men on the front lines we have this thing we talk about flipping the script on temptation and don't think of temptation as failure the devil wants you to because then you think oh i've entertained the temptation i've seen the image in my mind i might as well just give place to it as opposed to seeing temptation as an opportunity to push back exercise your authority and say no but what about somebody who does that once or twice and then three days later this thing pops back up and it pulls them back in speak a word of encouragement to them because sometimes it's a process and sometimes it's it does break immediately but if it doesn't break immediately for you and you keep walking through this process and turning from the bad choice and turning to the right choice um you can even build up it's almost like building up muscles to push back against it but what would you say to somebody who's like i hear you i tried but i keep failing in this area yeah and i know individuals that way uh they they struggle there's a couple things i want to say is i know that you have a destination you have a goal that you want to be at but don't make the object that your whole object and what i mean by that is let's say that we're all in the middle of we're all in dallas texas and we're all going to go to um los angeles california okay so the the destination is los angeles california i'm gonna drive and you're gonna walk you're gonna walk from dallas texas to los angeles california and i'm gonna drive even though it's going to take a long time for me to drive i'm probably going to get there quicker than you but it's not how quick you arrive to the destination it's whether or not you just take the journey to get to the destination you're still going to get there and you're going to get there because you took one step at a time. And what you're going to find out is because you took one step at a time, your journey is going to look a little different than my journey. And your journey, you're going to find out when along that journey, you're going to find out that God spoke to you differently because your journey came at a pace that was different than mine. It's not how fast you get something. It's the fact that you just get to where you're going in that process. I want to say that. And then I want to say this as well. If we look at a picture of a yoke, there's two sides of it. You didn't yoke one animal. You yoke two oxen, two donkeys, mm-hmm. two horses, whatever the case may be. I want to encourage you. 
don't ever try to battle something alone when you recognize that it's not going away as quick as what you would hope that would be. Don't be afraid to seek out accountability. Don't be afraid to get someone to help you, to encourage you to speak into your life. I can't find anywhere in the scripture where God, Jesus, or Holy Spirit ever encouraged anybody to do anything by themselves. Mm -hmm. Jesus sent the disciples out by two. I mean, God looks at Adam. Adam has it all. He's named everything. He has it all. And God says, ah, it's not a good thing for him to be alone. There are some things that you're going to have to recognize. You can't do it by yourself. And even though you have the help of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is phenomenal, there's nothing wrong with having some kind of accountability, somebody to speak into you, somebody that can remind you, hey, get up. You can do this. There's, there's, you know, it's okay to do that and you need that in your life. Go for it. I can say, and you know, because it's one of the things Men on the Front Lines is committed to, brotherhood, is it makes all the difference in the world. And absolutely, we do it by the power and might of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in us, with us, and through us. And yet, I know just in my last year of all that I've been through, having you there for me, having Brad Carter there for me, having um, Ben Hughes there for me, having Darren Stott there for me, even being able to call and say, man, I really blew it this week. Here's where I wrestled. And have somebody say, yeah, that was not a good choice, but remember who you truly are. And we're in this with you. That's so good. And ultimately, both of those things you just answered so well on my question work together because it is about having somebody there. It is good to have a brother or if you're a woman, have a sister there. But it's also knowing it's part of the journey. I love what you said about the trip from Dallas to L.A., no matter how you get there. Remember, it's a journey. Know the destination. Be aware of the destination. Want the destination, but realize it's a journey because, as you said earlier in this, in this broadcast, that's the invitation of Christ. Come follow me. Come walk with me. Come learn with me. It's Jesus. Jesus is the destination, and Jesus is the way. So if we're willing to walk with him as the way, we'll get to the destination because he is that. So... Be encouraged, especially if it's a long-term issue. It may break like that. We know so many testimonies like that. But I know just as many, the break came because they were willing to go on the, 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 the journey with Jesus. And sometimes that journey is, I really blew it for like three times in a row, Lord. Why? Show me. And he shows you. And there's something he wants to, because he's not about perform better for me. He wants to help us see why we're making those choices so we can get at the root issue and heal it. So we're more whole and we can bring more wholeness to others. All right, Ryan, I know we've got one more of your keys and it was stop pointing the finger of blame and speaking wickedly. Talk to us about that <laughs> as a key in repairing the breach. <clears throat> I, I don't know what it is about mankind. We have this tendency to uh, blame all of our problems on other people. You know, I am the way that I am because... Um, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know, um, how they hurt me. You know, it's everybody else's fault. We have this, we have this tendency not to want to take responsibility for ourselves. Uh, so many of us are guilty of that. You know, it, it is, you know, I'm, I'm not overweight because I eat. I'm overweight because of what they put in food. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not bad and evil and mad because that's who I am people made me this way you know when i say stop pointing the finger and uh, of blame and speaking wickedly wickedly what i'm trying to say is stop making everyone else your scapegoat 
Stop trying to point that finger. Um, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, I was provoked. They hurt me. There's a reason that we do what we do. And I know that there's real cases. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not making light of that at all. I know that there's people that abused certain people, people mistreated people, and I get all that. I'm, I'm not making light of it. But you can't get in the habit of continually habitually blaming everything for every one of your problems. You do have to take responsibility for some of the things that you free willingly choose to do. And we need to be responsible for our behavior, no matter how horrible people may treat us. You know, one of the passages of scriptures that's extremely difficult to swallow at times is vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But when we're hurt, what do we want to do? We want to bring vengeance. We want them to make them feel what we're feeling in that moment. And this is where we have to, you know, we have to really be willing to stop it. One of my favorite little clips is a, it's a clip with Bob Newhart and he's playing like a counselor, psychiatrist, whatever. And a woman comes in and she basically talks about, I'm being afraid of being buried alive. Well, he goes down the list. Have you ever been buried alive? She's like, no. Have you ever been threatened to bury alive? No. And he finds out she's not even remotely close to ever being buried alive. It's just a genuine fear. And he goes, okay, here's my advice. Are you ready? Stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. Stop being afraid of being buried alive. And she can't fathom what he's saying. And she's just, she's just blown away with it. But that's the thing. And I want to tell people, there comes a point, yes, people mistreat you. It's, it's the world that we live in. People slander your name. People, they did the same thing to Jesus. What we have to learn how to do is not be those who react. We need to learn how to respond. There's a difference between a response and a reaction. When there's a car scene, Ooh, that's the fire good. department shows up, the rescue squad shows up, and the police show up, and we all call them first responders. The reason that they're called first responders is not necessarily because they're there first, because eyewitnesses are there first. The reason they're called first responders is because typically they're the first one on the scene that is trained and know what to do in order to respond. If sons and daughters of God would stop being so reactionary to things that we're doing and learn how to respond to the offense, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, we would do a whole lot better and stop the chaos of destruction and choose to live differently. Really good. You know, I'm going to have you pray for the audience here in just a minute, Ryan. But when I was reading through your keys and you shared so well on stop pointing the finger of blame and speaking wickedly, one of the other things that came up to my mind was, you know, it's that delicate balance because God and in Isaiah 58 that you've, you've unpacked for us so well, this program, God talks about the watchman and needing the watchman and how important the watchmen are. But we've got to separate being a watchman from being a fault finder. We've got to separate yeah. the watchman anointing from the fault finder anointing. Because here's what I'm noticing happening. Even with what we're talking about today, I want to gently but firmly emphasize 98% of this is you with God looking at yourself to repair the breaches in you. Don't fall into the trap of the enemy and take this at, now I'm going to see everybody's breach and my job is to tell them about their breach and where they need to repair it. I can tell you, you will be better received and more effective if that if you make 98% of this working with God to repair any breach in you 
And then you'll have love, mercy, compassion, anointing in the presence of God when you go to that other person to share. Because otherwise what happens is we think we're operating in the watchman anointing, but what we're really doing is participating with the accuser of the brethren. Because so much of what's going on out there right now is people that disagree with something and they attack and they accuse and they malign and they slime and they think they're doing God. I'm standing up for God because this person's wicked and wrong. And actually what you're doing is you're participating with the accuser of the brethren. So, Ryan, if you want to respond to that in any way or, or bring any correction to that from what you um, re- what, what you meant in stop pointing the finger of blame and speaking wickedly, because what you shared, I thought, was great. But I'm seeing this all too often in the body of Christ and the unsaved watching and thinking, why would I be a part of this? They're worse to each other than we are to one another in the world. Yeah, I. You know, I'm a firm believer that it's not my replace. It's not my place to bring correction to anyone that I don't have a relationship with. That is. Now I know there's a lot of people that you know they say if your ministry's public, then I ought to have a public access. And and I know there might be a, a real small window for that, and it's it's an extremely small window in my opinion. That's my opinion. No one has to agree with me. I'm just a believer. I'll be flaming that, you on Facebook for that opinion, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm of the mindset that correction without relationship breeds anarchy. And so if Say that I again. Don't, Say that again. Sorry. Say correction, that one more time. Correction without relationship mm. breeds anarchy. Mm. If I go online and I create, I try to correct those that I don't have a relationship with, what I'm genuinely doing is giving everyone else permission to find fault. Mm-hmm. And now I've crossed over into the accusing because I've become an accusatory and I've opened up that window for that. Now, it doesn't mean that I can't bring a word of correction on the subject itself. But the minute I start naming people and this and that, I don't have the relationship. I'm in trouble with that. So I'm just a firm believer that if I'm going to correct anybody, it's because I already have a relationship with them. The accusing is ones that you don't really know them. You know, I I get so sick and tired of being asked, what do I think about Joe Osteen? I get, I, if, uh, I just want to, you know, I hear that. Well, what, what do you really think about Joe Osteen? I, you know, and I, I, my response to that is, man, he is a phenomenal encourager. He, he's exactly what the word of God says. He's an encourager to the body of Christ. And he does an absolute great job. I'm glad I don't have that calling on my life. I'm glad I don't have to walk in his shoes. I'm glad I don't have to. Do, and I can immediately tell that there's people, are, you know, they're wanting to, you know, right. say this and that. I don't have a relationship with Joe Osteen. So, I, you know, I, I've never been to Lakewood Church. I'm not about to sit down and start blasting another man of God that I don't even have a relationship with. Right. Now, you know, could he preach a message that I don't absolutely agree with? Sure, that can happen. Um, but we disagree about something. Yeah. Disagreement doesn't always merit correction. That's another thing that people need to take in consideration. You know, I can disagree with something on you, and that's it. We just disagree. And we don't even have to agree to disagree because that's an impossible facet anyway. You can't agree to disagree on anything except breaking of covenant. Mm. Covenant is the only thing that you can agree to disagree on. That's it. Um, So you just simply acknowledge, I disagree with you on that. Fine, you disagree. 
So it, it, it's not about that. It, it's a, I just don't, I feel like <laughs> I can point to every fault finder, every accuser, and I can guarantee you they have a relationship with nobody. Nine out of 10 of those people. And, and, and there'll be the people that will say, now, I know I'm going to get flat for this, and I'm sorry, Robert, if you get flat. <laughs> it's all right. But I guarantee you, nine out of ten of those people are the same people that says, I don't have to answer to anybody but God. Yeah. <sighs> Come on. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it is I, – I, I just don't have the heart for it. I want a relationship with people. And out of that, will it bring correction? Yeah, at time. But it'll be minute. Right. Because the relationship will be in for the accountability of one another. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've noticed, and we don't have to go far down this path, but the the hardest, let's say the most brutal criticism that I've gotten out of relationship, I've got great relationship, I've got great accountability, I've got great covering, and I've received wonderful discipline from God directly, from my spiritual parents, from my brothers that I'm accountable to, like you and Brad and Ben. I'm grateful for that. But I've noticed because when you said that thing about um, the people who are the biggest accusers of the brethren, you can almost guarantee they have no relationship. One little thing I tend to do is when I get some like somebody brutally flames me, I usually click on their link, not to flame them back because I refuse to do that. But I'll notice things like they have no content on their channel or nothing on this or no subscribers. It's not about subscribers. It's not about that. But I'm just noticing their entire focus is to criticize, not even bring correction, because correction will have positive feedback. Correction will have, you know, here are some solutions in that area. It's just criticism. So we don't want to take what God is doing in this season that's truly glorious and miss our opportunity to participate in it by falling into the trap of Thinking watchman means I get to be, God's telling me to be a fault finder, an accuser, an attacker. That's not what this is about. It's about letting God search our hearts and, and not blaming others for the choices we make, not attacking others for the choices they make, but actually realizing the power we have in our free will to with God and with a great accountability circle who loves in us and believes in us, to be reminded the power we have to make righteous choices that will bring a difference to our life, to the church, and to the world. So, Ryan, with that, I'm going to ask you to pray for our audience as the Holy Spirit leads, and um, and then we'll do a little bit more business with everybody after you pray. Let them know where they can get more from you. But you're not only uh, an amazing teacher and operating a revelatory gift, but you're very, very prophetic. So have your freedom to pray for our audience as you feel to. So I just want to encourage everybody again that you are called to be a repairer of the breach. Yes, you're called to warn the world, but you're also called to hold the body of Christ in accountability. But that begins with your own life. So, Father, right now. Everyone that is listening and watching right now, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to show in our hearts things that we may have allowed to make a breach within our relationship with you. Things that you would highlight to us that maybe we've not held attentive to, things that we've allowed to become idolatrous, things that we've allowed to become a, a, a what seems to be minute but really is a major obstacle in our growth in our relationship with you highlight to us 
us that we may be not perfect, but perfected through Christ in relationship with you. Father, I ask that we don't become the fault finders and the accusers, but we become the body, the body of Christ, help to encourage, equip, and advance the kingdom of God, that we'd be unified in our faith through Christ Jesus, that we would strengthen one another, not with accusations, but with abundance, that we would be able to remind one another that they are loved. And everything that we do, Lord, give us the wisdom to know what to say, but also when to say it. Let us know the timing of those things. And everything that we do for you, Lord, that you may get the glory. And as we repair the breach between our relationship with you, as we eradicate the sin out of our life, let us also be encouragers of others to help them to be able to grow and mature in the relationship that they have with you. For everything that we do, it's not for our name, our glory, or our honor. It is for you and you alone. And I decree it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that. And Ryan, I know I've mentioned it a few times throughout this broadcast, but do me a favor and let everybody know where they can hear more from you, where they can reach out to invite you in for their events, for for their broadcast, for all of that, because I know our audience loves you and is going to want more from you. Yeah, I think so much again. Thank you. Uh, we love what you're doing, especially through Men on the Front Lines and everything else. But the easiest way is to go through uh, ryanjohnson.us, ryanjohnson.us. That's our main website. You can find all of our social media links. You can find our link to our podcast, The Blacksmith Chronicles YouTube page, uh, where we're going to be speaking at an event here or there. Um, just everything you can do. You can email us, let us know, check out our blogs, check out our store. Um, and whatever we can do to help, just let us know. Thank you, Ryan. And hey, everybody, don't be shy. Reach out to Ryan through his uh, uh, website and let him know how much even uh, all the wisdom and everything he shared with you today meant to you. So I want to thank all you guys for being with us for this episode of Heroes Arise. Don't forget, March 24th through the 26th is our annual East Coast event. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, it's our weekend of brotherhood breakthrough and adventure on the East Coast. You can go, you can email me, Robert at menonthefrontlines.com to get the info, or you can go to menonthefrontlines.com and click the events link and it'll all be there. Hey, do me a favor while you're at menonthefrontlines.com, click the donation link, or if you're at roberthodgkin.com, click the giving link. It's our privilege and we love creating all this content for you. And we know with everything going on in the world, everybody might not be in a position to be able to sow a small gift or a big gift into the ministry to help keep things going. And that's absolutely okay. We're here for you and we're committed to creating content and serving you. But if you happen to be in a position to sow into what we're doing, we would greatly welcome that. It would be a blessing and we know you'll be blessed for it. And the easiest way to do that is just go to roberthodgkin.com or menonthefrontlines.com and click that giving link or that donation link. Thanks so much for being with me and Ryan Johnson for this episode of Heroes Arise. I will see you back here for another episode soon. Ready for more? Go to roberthodgkin.com for more teachings, more resources, and more information about Robert Hodgkin Ministries and Men on the Front Lines.